recently people have been really focused on the um, zero waste movement, which is a great thing. But if you do look at like the statistics and other things, I think going completely zero waste is almost impossible in our day-to-day lives. And I think when people get caught up with that perfection, um, it's, it's just a different, a, a hard target to get to. I think imperfection is key. Ultimately, we want everybody to be able to live a sustainable lifestyle, not just people who can afford to. And I think that means not asking people to tweak every aspect of their life by little, little sustainable targets and instead living by this like broad overarching theme of investing in your relationships and just buying less stuff. Hi, everybody, and thank you for tuning into episode 28 of the Learn With Lyle's podcast. On this episode, I spoke with Grace Quang, who works for the Academic Sustainability Programs Office at McMaster University, my old stomping grounds. This episode with Grace was all about sustainability. In our conversation, we talked about what we need to do if we want to actually make an impact in fighting climate change, how climate change and social justice are tied together, the environmental and social impacts of fast fashion, the overpopulation myth and the fact that the richest countries actually generate the most waste, and how to not get overwhelmed when dealing with such a daunting topic. One of the main takeaways that I got from this conversation is that I need to be conscious of the things I'm buying and really just try to consume less, which can be difficult right now with the holidays right around the corner. If you're planning to gift clothes, Grace told me about this great app called Good On You, which basically tells you which brands have sustainable practices. I found it to be really helpful in doing my Christmas shopping this year, and I definitely recommend it. And going off this conversation, I also recommend just cutting back on buying new stuff in general wherever possible. I sound like I'm preaching here, and I know that I have a long way to go as far as my sustainability journey. But this conversation was a great start for me, and I hope that you find it helpful as well. Um, Yeah, so thank you so much for being on my podcast. So for our listeners, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure thing. Thank you, first of all, for having me on the podcast. Uh, So my name is Grace. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a third year health sciences student at McMaster. Uh, I like to say I'm a photographer, interested in that. Sustainability and health equity as well. And I am the communications assistant for the Academic Sustainability Programs Office here at McMaster. Mm-hmm. Yes, very nice. And yeah, I wanted to have you on the podcast because sustainability is something that I feel like is obviously super important, but I also feel like it can be really like frustrating and overwhelming because sometimes when you just mm-hmm. think about all of the issues, like it can feel really hopeless. Um, so I wanted to talk with someone who is well-versed in sustainability to talk about what we can do to actually make a difference. Um, but yeah, we can get into all of that. But first I wanted to know what made you pursue this field of work? Well, actually you're in school, but like to, to um, <laughs> join the Office of Sustainability while you're in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I should start with a disclaimer and say that Uh, My personal journey does not obviously speak to others. And like you were saying, sustainability is this huge, broad field. Hopefully I can break it down a little bit over the course of this uh, podcast. Anyways, so um, what made me pursue it? So this was not something that was talked about in my household. Like my parents, so they are immigrants from China. So, uh, you know, 
I think their mindset was very much like, oh, I have a lot of other issues to deal with, which I think, you know, it's understandable. And I think a lot of other immigrant families can sort of relate. Mm-hmm. So they were super casual about climate change. And for me, documentaries were the door in, you know, climate change is super abstract. So it can be really helpful to see visuals of uh, how your impact can affect people, you know, halfway across the planet. Um, some of my top documentaries, I watched Caspiracy, uh, Forks Over Knives, uh, True Cost, which is about the fashion industry, and also the Leonardo DiCaprio one. Um, I think it's called Before the Flood. That was probably my first one that I watched. Mm-hmm. Cool. So those documentaries kind of really got you interested in climate change? Yeah, yeah. Documentaries, I don't know, for me, I think, yeah, as I was saying, climate change is so abstract, it's hard to see the tangibles, um, especially the fact that we live in a Western society, like we're not going to see the impacts of climate change until later, as in after uh, what we say is like map us, the most affected people, um, areas, which are, I guess you could say like the global south and other places, although we do see some effects here, you know, like there's variable weather patterns, flooding, especially like California wildfires. Um, But yeah, still not on my doorstep, exactly. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. So what does your family say now, now that you're like really involved in the whole sustainability world? <laughs> um, I think they still have the same ish perspectives. So I went vegan a couple years ago and anyone that comes from an East Asian family will sort of know that we eat everything over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a large part of uh, what we eat. So telling them that I didn't want to eat those things anymore was sort of like a cultural barrier trying to explain my life uh, decisions and yeah that was a it was an interesting conversation but I think after a while they accepted that I'm an individual I can make my own points they just wanted to make sure I was safe and you know being vegan the research has come through like it will not harm your body's health in any way as long as you're taking the right steps so, um, yeah, I think they've been a little bit more receptive nowadays. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Like, I haven't, I haven't gone vegan or vegetarian or anything, but, like, I've really been trying to cut back my meat. And I've had, like, a couple months where I would just, like, okay, I'm just going to try to eat vegan all month or vegetarian all month. And, yeah, my family is Filipino. Um, so there's definitely, like, pushback there, like, not understanding why. Um, and especially because like meat is so big in, in like the Filipino diet. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's good to try to cut back on, on meat, um, knowing the impacts that it has on the environment. Yeah. And I think like what you said, going for maybe not a month, but, uh, sometimes people pitch things like meatless Monday or, you know, cutting back one meal out of the three that you eat in a day. And I think that's a lot easier for people to kind of get their foot in the door before you go like, okay, I'm just going to go vegan for a year. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I feel like it's like an easier way to kind of, um, to kind of try to help, but without having to be, um, like so intense, like it's, it's less intimidating. Mm-hmm, exactly less intimidating mm-hmm. yeah um what other kinds of things other than uh you're eating um what other kinds of things do you do and do you uh, recommend that people do to try to help and be more sustainable so 
I guess maybe this is sort of like a what kind of things can people do in their day-to-day life question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think the biggest misconception for sustainability is this idea that you need to change your whole life. You need to buy, you know, like uh, eco-friendly light bulbs, like change your fashion spending, like change your eating, change everything. And the number one thing that I can say to be more sustainable is to stop buying stuff you don't need. <laughs> um, I think the idea of having to, you know, have like pretty sustainable clothes and like you see those Instagram pictures of the huge, nice looking pantries. And this is a really big barrier for lower income people. Mm-hmm. And it's actually pretty ironic given the fact that poor people have the lowest carbon footprints just because they like can't afford to live high carbon luxury lifestyles. So I think kind of taking a look at your own consumption habits and asking yourself, like, why are you buying all of these things um, is a really, really crucial step in being more sustainable. Other than that, I think you hear like the regular stuff, like reducing your meat's consumption and driving less. Um, But yeah, I think recently people have been really focused on the Um, zero waste movement, which is a great thing. But if you do look at like the statistics and other things, I think going completely zero waste is almost impossible in our day-to-day lives. And I think when people get caught up with that perfection, um, it's, it's just a different, a, a hard target to get to. I think imperfection is key. Ultimately, we want everybody to be able to live a sustainable lifestyle, not just people who can afford to. And I think that means not asking people to tweak every aspect of their life by little, little sustainable targets and instead living by this like broad overarching theme of investing in your relationships and just buying less stuff. Yeah, for sure. I think that the whole perfection thing, I think is a good point too. Cause like all the times that I've tried to like be vegan for this whole month, it's like, okay, I'm craving meat now. <laughs> but when I am just like trying to cut back, like I'll, I'll go through like days and days of being like, oh, I didn't even notice that like, I didn't have any meat at all. So I feel like, yeah, yeah not exactly. hung up is helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes if we strive for perfection and we don't get there, we feel really guilty. And guilt is not a really good catalyst of change. So uh, yeah, I think we hear it all the time. Like I see it all over social media is being able to use your fear as a catalyst. So tapping into that motivation and not letting yourself get down because you can't hit all those targets is really important to living a sustainable lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. One thing I feel like I think about a lot is that like I can try to be more sustainable, but then like if there are people around me who don't care at all, like if I'm, if I'm trying to create like as little waste as possible, but there are like billions of people out there who don't care, like sometimes I feel like it can be really disheartening. Like what does it matter what I do? Um, so what do you say to people who are having those kinds of thoughts? Man, that's that's a really good question. Honestly, I've had those thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing I think like we can take from this pandemic with COVID is the idea that we are all interconnected. You know, as much as Western society likes to tell us that we're individuals, we have our own liberty, we make our own decisions. Like, ultimately, if you don't wear a mask and you go out, other people are going to get really mad because we are not isolated in this world. 
So I think that concept applies to sustainability too. You know, like if everyone else doesn't do something, but for example, you don't buy a shirt from H&M, you know that you're not taking part in a system that exploits garment workers halfway across the world who don't have a living wage. Uh, And that's just one piece of the puzzle. So I think in the end, um, I wrote a post about this on our Instagram. We need both behavioral change and system level change. So behavioral change is very tangible. And I think it's um, usually the door open for people, you know, going vegan, going zero waste, um, reducing your shopping habits. Those are all behavioral change. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, uh, you know, the question shouldn't be like, oh, why are you using a plastic water bottle? It should be, why is there plastic in the first place? And that requires a very different approach, which is the system level approach. Um, and a lot of that is more related to like politics and getting out there, telling brands that you don't like the way that they're operating, um, telling your local MPs that they need to be having environmental issues at the very forefront of their agendas. Um, yeah. So, uh, a good mix between behavioral and systemic change, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. You did t- uh, like make some suggestions right now about how um, we can e- encourage systemic change, but um, yeah, like what what are the key things that we can do? Um, yeah, to um, encourage systemic change. Yeah, I think so. With the BLM movement, I think there was a lot of um, stuff on social media and people talking about all these different things that you can do. And honestly, the same things apply here. Emailing and phoning your MPs, organizing groups that can protest and be political, talking about this with your friends and family, emailing brands. And, you know, I've even heard of like kind of roasting brands on social media. Like, (laughs) it seems funny, but brands don't like to have a bad rep Mm -hmm. and if you're bringing up subjects about how they're exploiting their workers overseas like they're eventually going to have to pay attention to those things Mm -hmm. so yeah literally everything that you've seen about social justice movements in general and how to get involved in those I think applies to the sustainability movement One thing that I would say about um, being political, and maybe you can like weigh in on your thoughts on this. Uh, Sometimes I hear like, oh, we shouldn't be so political. Like, I don't want to get involved in that. Um, But the reality is that I feel like everything we do in our life is political. You know, all of our decisions, well, not even our decisions, but the systems that we engage in have been formed by politics throughout history. And even if we refuse to be political, you still are because you're making a choice to uphold a system which is inherently unequitable. So for me, politics was always this weird thing because you know I'd go vegan, I'd go zero waste, but I wouldn't want to be political. But in the end, like as I was saying, both behavioral change and systemic change. So we do need to be political. Everything is political. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, that is very true. Oh man, it's making me think about <laughs> the debate yesterday in the states. Oh. Like, yikes! <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> already about that pardon <laughs> i was seeing all the memes already coming out about that oh gosh. yeah i'm not sure that um that trump agrees that climate change is a real thing uh, which is scary <laughs> um yeah so what do you say 
to people who deny climate change, or I don't know if you encounter many people who do, but um, like if you do, I don't know, in your work, if you ever encounter, encounter people who don't believe it's real or in your regular life, like what do you say to those people? <laughs> that's, that's a big yikes. <laughs> um, I actually would say that I don't really deal with climate change deniers. I guess let me clarify that. So I'd say the far larger issue is actually not climate change deniers, but people that are too, let me say, casual about climate change. Um, You know, people know that it exists, but they think it's really abstract and therefore there's no need to engage with it. Even if you look at billionaires and the people who are active on TV, you know, for example, Donald Trump, who say that they are, that climate change doesn't real. Mm-hmm. I think in reality, they, they know um, what they're getting into. They profit off of those things and they profit off of the fact of being a denier of climate change. But uh, rather, I think that they know they're just really casual about it because they know that themselves and their families are going to be safe in the upcoming years. Mm. So I would say like, if you encounter a climate change denier, like don't waste your energy because it's actually quite a small percentage of people. And I would focus on those who are casuals. Uh, In those instances, I think reframing the question of bringing uh, climate change from the abstract to the very real can be really helpful. So you know, climate change, we often think is focused on just the animals and the trees, but we forget that humans are like a very, very big part of this issue. Um, Climate change is about, you know, human suffering. It's about equity. It's about people being exploited. And I think if you tell people that, hey, you are being exploited by these billionaires, like you are losing your welfare, you're losing the dollars that are going to go into your kids' educations because they're going to be put into trying to rebuild our world and telling them like, hey, you're breathing toxic air. Like, I think that gets people a lot more motivated and it brings them to the realization that, climate change is going to impact them too and so they should care about it too (laughs) yeah I feel like uh like we're able to kind of disconnect ourselves from the consequences but the consequences are happening right now like right in front of us so Mm -hmm. yeah it's scary I think yeah that's a that's a good way to go is to to point out those real things that are actually happening and that are just going to continue to happen right yeah Yeah, I don't really think I encounter too many climate change deniers. I mean, obviously, there's like internet trolls, but (laughs) like, I don't think they're really like, the ones that you want to waste your energy um, trying to change their mindset. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like the people who do want to do something, but are not really sure how to, I feel like, yeah, that's smart to kind of focus the attention on them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, on the topic of clothes, because you were talking about that like quite a bit, um, what brands would you say are are better ones to choose as far as clothing? Because yeah, I feel like for years, like I was shopping at like Forever 21 H&M because I was like a poor student for so long that those were like my main places <laughs> to go. But now it's like, oh, shoot, I should stop going to Zara. <laughs> like. Um, yeah, so what clothing brands would you say are good ones to, to go for? 
Um, yeah, fast fashion is like a really hard one because, you know, like you were saying, they're the ones that are cheaper and it's hard to get people like students, lower income people to be like, ah, you need to buy more expensive clothes because mm-hmm. like that's what happens when you actually do buy sustainable clothes that pay their workers a fair wage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe like for our viewers that don't really know about fast fashion, I can really quickly break it down. But yeah, basically, sure. yeah, so the life cycle of fast fashion starts off in, um, I guess, the global south. Uh, and we extract the resources there. We uh, force workers who are usually black and brown people to uh, work in those factories, often uh, very underpaid and very high risk jobs. Then we ship those clothes over to the West, which they're consumed for maybe like a few months. And they're such poor quality that we eventually have to throw it out. Uh, So that's a huge environmental problem because that builds up. But on top of that, Uh, we usually like to ship those clothes back over to the global south. And in that sense, a lot of us think like, oh, you know, we're helping out, we're giving our donations and stuff. But those clothes are obviously not good enough quality for you to keep. So why would you give them to other people, other vulnerable populations? And sometimes I hear about um, how that fashion can actually harm local economies because local garment workers can't compete with free t-shirts that are coming in from the West. So anyway, so that's probably the, that's like why fast fashion is problematic. So in terms of ways you can get yourself out of this cycle, uh, I think one way that for people who are, you know, students, I do this a lot is I just go to the thrift store. Um, Sometimes you can find like pretty cool things over there for pretty cheap. And in that way, you're not giving your money directly towards buying new things. Um, The other recommendation actually, so there's this app called, I think it's called Good On You. And it's also a website. And they have this search bar where you can type in any company in there and it'll give you a rating, uh, a breakdown of whether it's ethical, whether they test on animals, impact on the environment. And the great thing is they also give you recommendations for more sustainable brands. So that's a really good resource that I like using. But then again, sustainable brands can be a little bit more expensive. So I think uh, as I was talking about looking at our consumption habits is asking yourself like whether you want to invest in quality over quantity and you knowing that your dollars are going to better help someone across the world like are you willing to you know give a little bit more uh in order to maintain that um is a good question to ask yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. good answer Ooh, i'm definitely going to download that app that's cool i've never heard of that before <laughs> yeah little little hack i guess mm-hmm. i like that a lot and yeah definitely i feel like thrift stores are definitely a uh, thing that I've been seeing a lot of like as far as a a tip to be more sustainable Um, right oh I forgot I didn't properly answer your question brands to avoid so um I guess (laughs) through the app you figure out step by step what brands but I think my go-to rule is let's say you walk into a store and you find a t-shirt that's ten dollars ask yourself like do you think that realistically this t-shirt costs $10? Like, do you think someone else across the world got paid properly? Do you think that um, this money that you're going towards this company is going to help do their cleanups and make sure toxins aren't going into this? And if the answer is no, then that's probably not a brand you want to be buying from. Uh, 
The other big role is sort of like popular ones that you'll find in uh, shopping malls. So unfortunately, the ones like, you know, Zara, H&M, Forever 21, etc. If you uh, see a billionaire at the top of the list, it's usually not a sustainable brand. Hmm. True. Interesting. Oh, man, I feel like I've got a lot of changes that I need to make. <laughs> I feel like I, oh, I like grew up thinking like, oh, I'm so good, like saving my money, like just buying cheap things, like thinking that I'm smart. But actually, no, I'm contributing. I've been contributing to a problem. I literally felt the same way. Yeah, um, yeah like this is the world that we live in. Like we don't get told these things and one thing that I sort of like have debated over some time is like where you put the blame I guess like who do you point the finger to because uh you know sometimes when you go vegan or you change your own lifestyle it can be really easy to look at people around you and say like oh why aren't you doing this like so ignorant like blah 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 and I definitely have that feeling and I'm sure people involved in other sort of like social justice movements have those feelings too and the end of the day the only finger you can like point to um point towards is yourself because you never know what other people are going through like as i was saying before um going zero waste is super super hard and it's a lot more accessible for lower income people than you know pretty pantries and such mm-hmm. uh, so yeah like i i totally have those feelings of like blame and guilt and fear yeah well, glad I'm not the only one, but now we know better, so we can do better. <laughs> yeah. Um, one topic that you had brought up that I found um, interesting is intersectionality, because um, I had heard of that term before and, like, understanding people's unique identities and, like, acknowledging the different kinds of oppression, oppression that people can face at once, but I've never really heard of an intersectionality in relating to sustainability. Um, so can you explain that a little bit for me? Yeah, sure. So uh, have you heard of the word climate justice? Um, not really. No. Not really? Okay. Well, I think it kind of goes back to what I was talking about in uh, the, the aspect of climate change, not just being about animals and trees, but also about humans themselves. So uh, climate justice is basically tying human rights and equity into our conversations about how we want our planet to look like. Mm-hmm. So I think um, if we to break it down a little bit easier. So intersectionality, uh, vulnerable people, people with you know disabilities, usually um, black and brown people in the world, indigenous peoples, women, LGBTQ2 plus peoples are all going to bear the brunt of climate change more heavily than predominantly rich Western white folks. And there are tons of examples of this, whether it's globally or in Canada, you know, like for example, in Canada, we have a lot of different instances of First Nations um, being exploited, having their resources exploited, um, currently living in zones that have really heavy toxic buildup or worse air pollution, um, no access to clean water. So this I think is how Um, intersectional climate change is because it's usually the richer people that have a high carbon lifestyle and um, paradoxically they're the ones that are going to feel climate change the least. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah. Uh, other examples, you know, in, in Hamilton, which is where I'm at right now, there's a 21 year difference in average age of death between the richest and poorest neighborhoods. And a lot of that can be accounted for through uh, climate impacts, you know, like I was saying, access to clean water, food insecurity, um, access to clean air, those types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the people most at risk for a climate catastrophe are like going to be the same people that are subjected to the cruelties of racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, and the same people that are going to profit even off of the climate catastrophe are the same oppressors of those exact issues. So in short, environmental justice is social justice. And I think that's where intersectionality comes into play. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Wow, it's wild that there's such a huge life expectancy difference in in Hamilton or like just like right here. Yeah, yeah. And there's like a huge overlap in all of these different types of issues. You know, um, I read a statistic or something. It was about in London, if you take the train, so I think in the western end, that's where Buckingham Palace is, and that's where the rich live, and on the east end, traditionally, was where the factories were, so a lot of, like, immigrants moved to that area, so if you take the train, I think every two stops, I forget what the decrease in life expectancy is, but it's quite a significant amount, maybe, like, five years every two stops on the west-east train line, which I guess is another example of huge health inequities, and I'm sure that they've also been perpetuated by climate change impacts. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's so interesting like how interconnected everything is. <laughs> it really is, you know. I didn't think it was. I thought climate change was all about like the animals and the trees and then I found out like, oh my gosh, no, it's about us too. Mm-hmm. And I think that just maybe speaks to how um, humans are part of the web. We like to think that the environment is separate from humans, but we forget that, you know, we evolved from this planet we live off this planet in the exact same way as other animals and other uh, fauna and flora mm-hmm. yeah for sure um i saw a post that uh mcmaster sustainability had on instagram um that talked about the misconception that like um in western countries we believe that poor, uh, more densely populated countries that typically have larger families, um, that they're the ones leading to the problem. But in reality, it's rich countries like Canada and the states that are actually having the biggest impact on climate change. Um, So can you talk about that a little bit? Like, why is it something that our society pushes when the facts are saying otherwise? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that post was called um, The Racist Myth of Overpopulation. And um, essentially the idea, I think I've heard this so many times growing up, people saying that the population is growing too fast and that's the reason why we have a scarcity of resources. Uh, I heard this all the time growing up, you know, like in geography class and history class, like every time. And what it comes down to is Western people basically pushing an agenda that says poor people in the East and the South are having too many kids and they're the reasons why climate change is happening. Um, Without going into it too much, uh, you know, Western countries have gotten so economically powerful based off of the exploitation of people and resources in faraway countries and through the use of fossil fuels. So 
actually, in reality, it is these Western countries that are living hugely high carbon lifestyles. Uh, and so the finger pointing should not be at these developing countries, which are still struggling to uh, cope with so many different issues. And rather, it should be in Western societies um, because they are the ones that are actually contributing the most. I think on my Instagram, there was a graph. It showed the statistics. I forget what it is but I think it's like the top 10%, maybe even 5%, the richest 5% um, use and produce as much carbon as the uh, poorest 50%, which is a huge inequity. And so that's why this overpopulation is a huge myth and it's really problematic too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely used to think that growing up, like that, yeah, that countries that have families that typically have a lot more kids that they were the reason for the problem but no the stats are saying we are we here in like Canada and the states and like in the western world are causing the biggest issues yeah and I, I think it's like rather than talk about overpopulation I think it, we need to switch this narrative to overconsumption and we see this pattern in other places too if we look at our food systems like you know, I don't know how many millions of people are still malnourished in other countries. Um, and people say that's because we have too many people. But if you look at, uh, for example, agricultural production in the US, only 10% of the land actually goes to feeding humans. The other 90% goes to feeding meat. Uh, well, not meat, like cattle, chickens. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah, and that 90% um, meat is usually more expensive. So who gets to eat it? Obviously, again, it's still the rich people. So, you know, the question is, what would happen if we stopped eating meat? What, what would happen if we put that 90% towards feeding people? Could we still solve food insecurity? I don't know if I could say that. But, uh, you know, we see these same trends of overconsumption versus overpopulation. Which one is the truth? Mm -hmm. Wow, I, I've never heard that stat before. <laughs> all, all the documentaries man <laughs> yeah yeah i need to watch all the documentaries that you've watched <laughs> yeah one thing that's that is frustrating like i feel like a lot of um politicians like in the western world um they talk about like when you ask them what their platform is as far as climate change um like i'm thinking of this one politician in particular but his platform was like oh we're just gonna put pressure on on china because they are creating the most carbon and like that's it but like we're at the top of the list too as far as like generators of carbon so it's like we need to stop pointing the finger at other people and also take responsibility for ourselves too mm -hmm. and the world is so interconnected in that sense too i know the statistics for um carbon footprints by country do not take into effect the carbon that's produced by things that you buy. So, you know, the reason why China has such a huge carbon footprint is because they're producing all of these things that are being bought by, guess who? <laughs> Us in the West. And that doesn't take, that isn't taken into account in those global statistics. So, um, yeah, that's another reason why it's difficult to point fingers in other places because we are all interconnected in that sense too. Yeah, that's so true. Oh man, there's so much to learn. <laughs> <laughs> there is, but you know, uh, even more to like kind of, I guess you could say unlearn um, 
I think I talked a lot about documentaries, but there are so many other ways to, to learn because I think documentaries can often be um, potentially biased because I know a lot of the ones that are really popular are filmed by and written by, produced by white people. So, uh, you know, going into different types of books as well. I think there's a, there's a huge list of like indigenous teachings. And I think this is another question that I was going to talk a little bit about, but something that I've been learning a lot more recently is how indigenous ways of knowing are so applicable and how they've been sustainable for thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, if we really just listen to them, I think it would really help alleviate some of the issues that we have today. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, there are tons of courses online, tons of books out there that are written by indigenous authors that um, I'm trying to get through myself. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I'll definitely have to add that to my list of books to read. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so that kind of leans into the next question I wanted to ask, um, which is if people who hear this could, could take one thing away from this conversation, what would you want it to be? Ah, oh, man, just one thing. <laughs> many things, whatever. <laughs> How to keep it concise. Okay. Um, one is climate change is a human equity issue and yeah that that would be the main thing I think focusing less on how it's impacting other like planets uh, sorry other plants and animals and realizing climate change is a very very human issue mm -hmm. that would be my main thing <laughs> yeah um what would be like your main tips for people to take away to help them to live more sustainable lives main tips so um obviously one so just check your consumption habits and two is to really just go online and uh just type it in just say how do i live more sustainable sustainably and you will get a huge list of things uh those are my top tips i think this is going to be a really slow process um both individually and at a systems level and I think doing the education part of it is probably the very first step in the whole process. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think that's most of the things that I wanted to ask you. Is there anything that you wanted to add or talk about at all? Um, I think that would pretty much be it. I feel like I came across really intense. Through whole no, I like it. It's good. I feel like the world needs that. <laughs> That's yeah, I know, like, people say, like, Greta Thunberg is, like, super doomsday, um, but I keep hearing this all the time in the BLM movement, and I think it's equally as applicable. Um, people say, like, oh, I don't need to be nice, because people are dying, and I think that is so true. It's so hard during these times to see joy and experience joy while also talking about these big, broad issues, so I guess maybe to leave off, in, like, the very last tip is if you're doing this work also give time to yourself um, make sure that mentally wise you're able to come back to these issues uh, and don't burn yourself out because it can be really dreary and really sad at times <laughs> yeah that's very true yeah when you think about it like too much it can be really daunting but that's good advice I would say for sure <laughs> Thanks. I try to hold myself to that as well. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I just have my last two questions that I ask everybody. Um, so the first one is, what is something that you've been learning lately? 
something I've been learning lately. Does it have to relate to sustainability or? Uh, just... No, it could be whatever your heart desires. Um, whatever my heart desires. Okay, well, I don't know if you'll include this one. Um, I've been drawing a lot more lately. <laughs> yeah, I used to draw a lot as a kid, and then I sort of stopped. Uh, one of my courses is about um, drawing, but relating it to sort of like biology. And so I've been finding that very relaxing at times, too. Um, perhaps I'll say another one that you might be able to better include in the podcast. But <laughs> Something that I've been learning from recently is podcasts. I was never a really big podcast listener, but there is this one that I must recommend for anyone who's interested in learning more about the intersections between climate change and other um, issues. Uh, it's called the Yikes Podcast, and it's by uh, Michaela Loach and Joe Becker, and they are absolutely phenomenal um, at breaking down everything that we've sort of talked about, whether it's fast fashion, whether it's um, eating meat, like all of these topics. So I really, really highly recommend Ooh, okay, cool. I'm gonna subscribe right now. I love podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. That's <laughs> true. The Yikes podcast. Okay, cool. I am now subscribed to listen. I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> um, okay, cool. And then the last question is, what is the biggest lesson you've learned in life so far? Oh, wow, what a big question. <laughs> um, I think... It is that we never know what other people are going through and therefore we can't uh, be always pointing our fingers at other people. I think um, there's this really good quote that I love. I forget how it goes, but it's something about how like, oh, I was smart yesterday and so I tried to change the world and then I'm wise today and so I'm trying to change myself. I think that's what ultimately kind of comes down to sometimes during these talks. We can try to change the people around us, you know, like we can try to get our friends and our families to be vegan and stop producing waste, but sometimes there are these huge barriers. So I think first pointing the finger to ourselves and then after that pointing them like super, super high up to a very broad level so that everyone can engage in sustainability. That was a really long lesson. And I don't know if I really can say it, but. <laughs> I like it. That's a good one. I like how you tied it into sustainability too. <laughs> Thank you. Nice. Cool. Well, this conversation has been great. Thank you so much for, for talking with me. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I, <laughs> I really hope I gave you um, something to put together and that uh, your viewers can learn from. Yeah, definitely. I think so. I feel like I learned a lot too. And I also feel like I need to go and learn some more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get that feeling all the time too when I listen to podcasts and engage yeah. with them. Yeah. Oh, I always do that. Like listen and then it's like, oh, now I'm just like Googling hardcore. <laughs> yeah.